Hello and welcome to Women on the Line, a national women's current affairs program providing a gender analysis of contemporary issues from Australia and internationally. I'm Giselle Hanna. On the program today, we replay some of the speeches from this year's International Women's Day March in Melbourne, Australia. International Women's Day has an extraordinary history and one very much rooted in the labour movement. In fact, its original name is International Working Women's Day. The first National Women's Day was observed in the United States on the 28th of February in 1909. The Socialist Party of America designated this day in honour of the 1908 garment workers' strike in New York, where women protested against working conditions. Then, in 1910, the Socialist International met in Copenhagen and established a Women's Day, international in character, to honour the movement for women's rights and to build support for achieving universal suffrage for women. As a result of the Copenhagen Initiative, in 1911, International Working Women's Day was marked for the first time in Austria, Denmark, Germany and Switzerland, where more than one million women and men attended rallies. In addition to the right to vote and to hold public office, they demanded women's rights to work, to vocational training and an end to discrimination at work. But what established the modern celebration of International Women's Day in history was the fire at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory in New York on 25th of March 1911 that killed 146 young women workers, most of whom were immigrants. From the ashes of that tragic event, the pursuit of social justice for women and men that was ignited that day continues to be felt around the world. And a hundred years ago to the day, a women's strike on IWD in 1917 sparked the Russian Revolution that changed the course of history. This year's Melbourne IWD raised the demands of that revolution, peace, bread and land. Here are the speeches from the rally and march of International Women's Day in Melbourne, Australia. We start off with a welcome to country by Arnie Marg. Well, good evening. I think it's evening, isn't it? After 5.30's evening, isn't it? Old-fashioned, but we're trying not to follow too many old-fashioned ways, which means male domination and female submission. Uh, days have changed and the culture worldwide has changed. Some of the cultures within that though have not changed and really need to, I suppose, modify so that there's a, a happier community. Now whether it's based on religious belief or just simply this is the way it's always been so why change it? I can hear Andrew Bolt now. <laughs> um, my belief is that without some type of evolution, and that means changes in attitudes, changes in the way people want to live, and don't forget that without the women, there'd be no children. Of course, there'd be none either without the men. So uh, we need to start thinking about uh, being more harmonious, 
having things a bit more equitable in that, you know, women shouldn't have one day a year where they're running a television station. They shouldn't have one day a year where they're recognised and able to speak out. It doesn't matter what you say because you get away with it. It needs to be more than that. I think we all have to ensure that our children are educated to be human beings, not just little machines who need to process things like a computer from grade prep. Uh, they need to not forget what the smell of a book is like. They need to learn things and how the kids learn. They learn with song and dance and repeating things over and over. That's how you teach them the language, no matter what language it is. They have to hear it to then be able to repeat it and try to say it. So that's the way education has to be. It needs to be uh, steered towards what each child's needs are. And that goes for the whole of community, once you're an adult. I'm not saying we all have to bend over backwards for each other, but we must keep in mind that without those other people around us to provide some support or some fostering or some guidance, mentoring, all of that, we could really be a lost people. The Aboriginal community is lucky in that the elders are still maintaining as much of the old knowledge as possible and passing that on. Now we could say in this day and age that a lot of our customs and traditions are no longer followed. Now, to some degree that may be true, but instinctively our young people know that they must respect their elders. It's an instinctive thing. The other instinctive things are being able to pick up the language reasonably easy, which is what all little kids do anyway. So I suppose because Oh, and I have to say it, because we have been, in effect, ignored for a bit more than 200 years, we didn't exist, we weren't citizens, we've been left alone so that we're able to try to maintain some of that old way. Because without the past, you don't have much of a future. That's my belief. I've got four kids, three of them are boys. I've brought them up to respect women. I'm here to give a message that women are important across the planet. So are men. So are men, but I know they'd be pretty lonely without the women. They wouldn't have mothers. They wouldn't have sisters. They wouldn't have aunties. They wouldn't have cousins. So we must all be conscious of each other. Take some care with people around you. Everything you do affects more than just yourself. It could be anything up to a hundred people. Oh, a thousand if you're on Facebook. So, you know, there comes a time where we need to stand still, take stock and think about where we've come from and where we want to go. That's something the Aboriginal community nationally and worldwide has had to do and it's had to be done regularly. And it's events like this that remind us all that 
there is an International Women's Day. And I have to say, quite honestly, that women generally in Australia don't have it as bad as some of the women in the Middle East or in um, maybe India. I shouldn't even say that, should I? Robert Doyle will get upset. Um, there are countries where women are really crushed and oppressed. Now, you have the freedom of speech here, and I think you should consider yourselves lucky that you have that. You've earned it, but you've got to maintain it, and you've got to do it respectfully. And respect for yourselves. <laughs> respect for the women that came before you. And respect for each other. That includes the men. Um, as, as I said, I've got three sons. I've brought them up to have a sense of, not just purpose, but I've brought them up so they don't think that males are everything and females are nothing. Lead by example, and I think everybody will have a better life, certainly any little people coming into the world in the next few years. So look, I wish you all the best, every success with your efforts, personally and collectively. Uh, just don't get too carried away. All right then. Welcome to the land of the Wurundjeri people. We'll try to keep you safe as long as you keep yourselves safe. Thank you. I think it's important to talk about one of the biggest attacks that women and the union movement are seeing right now. We're facing one of the greatest attacks that we have in many years. The Fair Works decision to cut penalty rates is the... Yeah, shame. This is the biggest pay cut that workers have experienced since the Great Depression. And this is at a time when business is absolutely booming. This is class war from the top. And we know that these attacks are going to disproportionately impact women. We know that these attacks will disproportionately impact women because we are disproportionately in these industries. What this will do is serve to further widen the already growing gender pay gap in Australia today. This attack has a flow-on effect to a whole lot of different groups in society. One that I wanted to talk about is young people and students. For working class kids, this is going to make getting an education all that much more inaccessible. I want to acknowledge the National Union of Students who are here today. And encourage everybody to get along to their demonstration on March the 22nd at the State Library at 2 o'clock. This is an important fight for decent access to education for everybody and it takes up as well the issue of penalty rates. I think it's so great that we have so many unions here today. I myself am from the Rail, Tram and Bus Union. I work down at Flinders Street Station. The reason that I think it's so great that there's so many unions here today is because it's as workers organised in our unions that we have won the right to vote, abortion rights, 
the right to continue working after marriage, the right to work in any industry of our choosing, maternity leave, formal equal pay. And it's how we're, win it's how we're winning paid domestic violence leave. And I will... Anyway, so Michelle is here today representing the Australian Services Union. Michelle joined her first union, the Meatworkers Union, when she worked as an offal packer in a small Victorian town. In 1982, Michelle got a job with the State Electrical Commission of Victoria and joined the MOA, one of the unions that later went on to form the ASU. In 1994, after having two fabulous daughters, Michelle rejoined the ASU when she went to work for the Shire of Benalla, which later became the Hume City Council. Michelle was a delegate for the ASU for eight years before going to work for them in 2002. Michelle has worked as an organiser, a lead organiser, branch coordinator and is currently in the acting position of Branch Executive President of the ASU. So I ask people to please make Michelle welcome. Thank you. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians on the land on which we are meeting, and I'd also like to pay respects to the Elders, past, present and future, and extend that respect to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who are here today. As women, we want economic justice. We want to be able to support ourselves and our children if we choose to have them and not have to enter into a relationship with a man or stay in a relationship with a man just to have a decent standard of living. In, in theory, women have had equal pay since 1972. In reality, the gender pay gap is still 18%. And the superannuation gap is 100%. Most women nearing retirement have a superannuation balance, which is half men of a similar age. The recent decision by the Fair Work Commission to cut penalty rates for retail and hospitality workers will disproportionately affect women and contribute to the gender pay gap, as the majority of workers affected by this decision are women. In a further slap in the face from the Fair Work Commission to justify their decision, um, in part they said it was because casual and part-time crew members are usually regarded as non-career employees. This decision highlights one of the contributors to the gender pay gap. That is that many women are forced to work in these industries in low paid jobs because it is the only way that they are able to manage their work and family responsibilities. Part-time and casual employment that offers this flexibility is generally not available in higher paying jobs. 
As a union official, I come across cases on almost a weekly basis where women who are returning to work from parental leave are denied the opportunity to work part-time in their substantive position and are forced to take a lower paying job in order to get part-time work. For this reason, many women working in these occupations are working below their level of their skill, experience and qualifications and now being treated less favourably for being non-career employees, for being seen to put their families' needs first. It's not the 1950s. We're not talking about mum earning a bit of pocket money so she can buy a new frock. These women rely on their income and penalty rates for their families and themselves to have a decent living standard or in some cases just to survive. One of the arguments of course is that cutting penalty rates or cutting wages will mean that businesses will employ more staff. What a load of crap. There have been a number of businesses come out and say that they won't be cutting penalty rates. But I've also heard of a business owner who said that they won't be cutting their employees' take-home pay. They're just going to get them to work longer hours for the same money. So it's more likely under these penalty rate cuts, rather than being more jobs, there's going to be less jobs. People will just be working longer hours. Whenever I raise the issue of equal pay, people say that women already get equal pay. If they do the same job as a man, they get the same pay. That's what everyone says. Sometimes that's true, sometimes it's not. But it is also true that women don't get to do the same jobs as men, or not in any significant numbers. They don't get the well-paying jobs in construction or mining or management. Even in the female-dominated sectors that my union represents, such as social and community services, home and community care and libraries, the proportion of men in management roles is significantly higher than the proportion of men in direct service delivery. And when women do get management roles, they are usually paid less than men doing the same or similar roles. This is even more evident when it comes to above award salaries, non-salary benefits such as a car and bonus payments. So what can we do about it? We can keep fighting. Minimum pay rates, penalty rates, annual leave, sick leave, paid parental leave. We're not given to you by the boss or the government. They're all fought for and won by unions. As well as superannuation, Medicare and childcare. We've had some wins for family violence leave and we continue to fight for paid family violence leave as an entitlement for all. And unions have fought for fair and equal pay. Um, I think we all know of the successes of the nurses' union and the teachers' union, two of the biggest unions in the country. Um, my union, the ASU, in 1982, along with other unions, um, campaigned for and got an equal remuneration order for social and community services workers which delivered pay increases of up to 45% over nine years in addition to annual award rate increases. 
If you want economic justice for women, then you need to join a collective and fight for it. Obviously, the collective I would recommend would be a union. You won't get economic justice just by hoping for it, and you won't even get it by attending this rally. You need to get out and fight for it, and if you don't fight, you lose. Thank you.
They talk about the U.S. deal. It's a gross disrespect of any human life or morals. They hilariously use the terms such as white genocide. They seem to forget that their ancestors wiped out entire civilizations right here and overseas. They forget that when they commit crimes, their whiteness is not put into the spotlight. That unlike us, they're viewed as human beings with unique identities. Meanwhile, we do things because we're Muslim or because we have colored skin. And on top of that, we have men asking for the deport deportation of Apex members. First of all, they thought Apex were Muslims. Then they realized they were Christians. Then suddenly it was their blackness that was blamed for it. Because they forget that white men still remain the biggest perpetrators of rapes, domestic violence instances, theft, and murders. They forget that white men still run the world's largest pedophilia gangs, whether in the path towards Aboriginal children or in the present in churches and in detention centers under the guise of religion and national security. These same men are happy to call Aboriginals and black individuals apes on national television, but will somehow cry, there's no racism, because our experiences are just a myth to them. Because we have politicians like Pauline Hansen, an illiterate who can't seem to understand that Ahmed Saud does not earn half as much as white CEOs of other companies do. But you know, he's Muslim, so. To, to, you know, in conclusion, I just want to say that many white males in Australia, they need to pick up a history book and get off their privileged thrones and realize that women are human too. Refugee women, Muslim women, black women, they have hopes, dreams, and fears too. Racism, Islamophobia, and white supremacy are still very much encouraged here. It's not just overseas. We have it pretty bad here too, trust me. We do not have to suffer because you can't accept that other people have rights too. I visited a refugee in a detention center just yesterday. He's on a hunger strike and today more than ever, I want to demand that they close the camps and free the refugees from this torture. Today, we need to put an end to the white man's hatred of refugee women, Muslim women, black women, and women in general that manifests in various degrees of oppression and inequality. And that's all we have time for today. Women on the Line is produced in the Melbourne studios of Community Radio 3CR with the financial assistance of the Community Broadcasting Foundation. The show is distributed nationally via the Community Radio Network with special thanks to the Community Broadcasting Association of Australia. If you want to get in touch with the producers of the show, you can write to us at womenontheline at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter or like our page on Facebook. If you want to hear this show again or any of our previous programs, you can download the podcast from 3CR's website. 3cr.org.au and that's the digit 3 not spelled out in letters go to the women on the line page and follow the links to this week's show thanks for tuning in I'm Giselle Hanna and I look forward to your company again next week We're